Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 122 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we are going to share some Google news and updates that are pretty awesome, as usual. And of course, we are going to dig into some featured content. And today, we are going to focus on how to build classroom community with Google tools, which is particularly challenging in this moment, trying to build that community and that classroom culture. So we're going to share some activities for that, as well as dig into, or should I say, jump into the mailbag and see what's happening with our listeners. You ready to do this, Matt? I'm ready to jump into the episode. Yes, let's do it. So to kick off our Google News and Updates, we're going to be talking just a little bit about accessibility. These are some of those great features that so much of the technology around us have that makes things more inclusive so that if we have some sort of disability or some sort of special situation, uh, nobody's left out. And with Chromebooks and with uh, Google tools, um, just, just sort of all across the board, Seems like Google is trying to make things more and more accessible. And so in honor of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, Google has decided to shine the light on some of their uh, improvements to Chromebooks and to G Suite for education um, when it comes to accessibility. And one of those has to do with more colors for cursors on Chromebooks. Because obviously, you know, if you look at the cursor that your mouse or your touchpad uses, you know, it's almost always just in black and white. And sometimes that black and white blends in a little too much with the background and what's going on on the uh, on the screen. So to help students see them a little bit better, um, they're going to be able to choose from seven different colors, red, yellow, green, cyan, blue, magenta, and pink, in addition to the default black. And then they can also make the cursor bigger for more um, visibility. And you can find that under the mouse and touchpad section of settings on your Chromebook. And that's pretty cool. I think that's a great feature for a lot of people who um, want to use these things. And especially those of you who teach 
other teachers and students and create tutorials and things because sometimes when you're recording your screen, the cursor kind of gets lost. And that's something that I will do. I'm not on a Chromebook, but I will sometimes enlarge my cursor. But I never thought about changing the color. But now that I'm seeing this, I think this would be a great thing to do for a tutorial to help highlight as you're moving your mouse around and showing where to click and how to do things. So, and this, this is a long post that we're sharing from the keyword blog. They've got several little tips in here. A lot of these are things that have existed and they've just added some extra little oomph to the feature. And one of those is select to speak. And that is using what's called Chrome Vox. And so they've made some improvements to Chrome Vox so that students can um, highlight the text and have it spoken aloud. So we've got text to speech built into Chromebooks, which is great. But they um, have added this option to shade the background text that's not being spoken so that it stands out more so you know where you are on the page. And I know a lot of speech to text, no, I said that backwards, text to speech uh, tools will do that, highlight things or make things stand out so you know where they're reading and the student can follow along. So uh, Chromebox is Chromevox. That's hard to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Wasn't there really like a Chrome box at some time? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I, I think there was. So anyway, um, but yeah, if you are looking for that, you need to go into your Chromebook settings and look for Chrome Vox in those settings to try some of the new features. And this is great, especially if you've got students in the classroom who need this feature. But, you know, this can help a lot of struggling students as well. Yep. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So that's Chrome Vox, V-O-X. I actually have a Chrome Box. It's like a Chromebook without a screen on it that you can plug things into, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I don't think they make them anymore, though, do they? I don't know. I, I don't know, know. But I haven't yeah, seen I haven't, one in a while. I, I've I've got one. So um, I just another, have it in the museum. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Put it in my I feel like I've got a bunch of stuff in here that could go in a technology museum, but yeah, that's another episode for another day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so um when it comes to test taking on Chromebooks, of course we've got kiosk mode, which many of us are very familiar with, so that you know if we're taking quizzes or tests, it can run in full screen so that students have limited ability to jump off of that particular test or quiz. And uh, Chromebook accessibility features are becoming easier and easier to use and to customize. You know, things like uh, screen readers, magnification, um, you're able to, you know, access those a little bit easier. And then there are some third-party providers like Pearson, Don Johnston, TextHelp that are coming up with some accessibility tools that um, that are, are able to better integrate with those uh, Chromebooks in test-taking situations. And then um, Google has also enabled the use of accessibility features built into Chromebooks when you're using locked mode on quizzes in Google Forms, um, along with the tools from the partners mentioned above. So, um, you know, we've got a variety of these different things so that whenever you're taking a test or a quiz that nobody's locked out from those important accessibility features that they need. And I'm really curious how many are making use of kiosk mode. I, I feel oh, yeah. like a, a lot of people know about the locked mode and we've got enough Chromebooks now that have that ability, but I, I don't know that I get that question or, or conversation very often if they're using kiosk mode. So let us know. 
The other thing that Google wants us to know is that they've added more support for Braille in Google Docs. So students can use a Braille display to read and edit their documents, spreadsheets, presentations, and drawings. And so they've added several improvements like keyboard shortcuts, which obviously that would be great, faster typing echo, and screen reader navigation. So um, they've also improved the handling of punctuation and spaces. And I can only imagine how challenging some of that can be in in a Google Doc. So if you have any students who are using those modifications and need some of those things, that would be great to know and to share that with your special education department. Yep, definitely. Um, Let's switch to captioning for just a second. There's two things on this update related to captioning. We've got live captions, um, you know, which are what makes meetings more accessible by reducing barriers for students who are deaf or hard of hearing. Um, And now they're starting to finally roll out captions in Spanish, French, German, and Portuguese. Um, I was just telling Casey, I created a resource about live captioning in, um, in Google Slides. And everybody kept asking those questions. Will it do multiple languages? Will it translate to multiple languages and all of that? And now we're starting to get some of that in the live captions in a Google Meet video call. And speaking of Google Slides, with the closed captions there... Um, those are the ones that, you know, those are the the live captions where everything that students and teachers say during a presentation can be shown at the bottom of the screen. So there's some additional personalizations that you can do with that. And that's another feature that keeps going. So when it comes to, uh, when it comes to captions, we're having more and more of those tools that, um, you know, that really do allow for us to, to provide that to students who need it. Our next item in the article is about smart to-dos in Google Docs, Sheets, and Slides. And this is something, I just tested it, and it didn't actually appear for me yet, so I don't know if it's fully rolled out. But when you tag someone in a comment, which, by the way, if you weren't paying attention, Google now accepts the plus sign and the at sign because... The rest of the world was never using plus. So <laughs> the at sign to tag someone in the comments. So I was actually just trying to tag Matt in our outline. And once you tag them, you can also check a little box to assign a task. So it appears as a task. Well, now they say they will s- give you suggested action items. And I'm very curious as to yeah. what kind of suggestions it would make. And maybe you have to have a certain amount of information. I'm sure it's, you know, machine learning and trying to figure out what you're trying to do, but to save you some time and just check that box and say, you know, this, this one's yours, take care of this. And very helpful. I do like that feature a lot. I like the feature of tagging people in comments so they know who it's for when you're in a collaborative document, but taking it a step further and that this is your action item. And that action item is also viewable in Google drive. So Nice little upgrade, I guess, to adding the suggested action items. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing we've got here talks about working hands-free in G Suite for Education. And now students are able to use voice commands to carry out actions in G Suite, uh, like navigating, selecting, editing in Google Docs, that kind of thing. So using voice commands definitely does make things easier if students struggle with using a keyboard or aren't able to for some reason. Um 
you know, if they have a vision impairment or really voice commands can can be a huge help for just about anybody to to make things go a little quicker and easier. You can even use them to join and leave Google Meet. So we've got all of these different um updates and, you know, sort of feature improvements related to Chromebooks that are going to make them more and more accessible. And since we are right in the thick of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, uh, it seemed like a really good time to share all of those. Of course, if you want to read through all of those yourselves or check them out a little bit more in depth, you can head to our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 122. Let's talk about how to build classroom community using Google tools. You know, this is much easier said than done. And especially in the situation that so many teachers are in right now with remote learning or hybrid learning in these concurrent classrooms, and you're trying to keep everybody together. And it's kind of a nightmare for a lot of teachers at the moment. And then on top of that, you're supposed to like, get to know them and keep them connected and build this community because we all know how important community is to the success of our students and student achievement. And so we have to get pretty creative with doing this. And a lot of teachers are heavily relying on Google tools to help them do that. So there's a lot of different ways and different strategies that we can use to reach our students to help make those more personal connections. I think that's the part that so many teachers are missing right now is being able to get to know their kids. You know, I've heard that from a lot of teachers. They feel like they just don't know them. And even sometimes when you do, you know, try to get that information, we have to all accept the fact that our personalities as learners, as adults or as students, is different when we are in a face-to-face environment and when we're in an online environment. You know, we have students who kind of come out of their shell when they have the protection of an online environment, but we also have kids who kind of go back into their shell, I feel like. There's there's kids that do better, um, and, you know, just watching this and knowing how much there has been a struggle for for students, for parents, for teachers trying to pull this all together. So Matt and I have put together a few ideas to help you try to move this along, try to help you design some experiences to make those personal connections and to build that community within your classroom. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of things we can do from little things all the way up to big things. And one of the little things that I love that we're able to do within Google Classroom is to be able to change the header. And of course, we've got that header image at the top of our uh, Google Classroom that um, if we want to make our own custom headers for those, we can put just about whatever we want into those. And so one thing that's that's really nice to be able to do with that is to pull in, you know, say pictures of our students, pictures of us together as a class. If we have those, um, you know, we could even use those Google Classroom headers and kind of cycle through them. You know, if you create like a little um, template inside of Google Drawings, for instance, and I think that the um, the dimensions of this it's it's something like. 2000 pixels to 400 pixels or something like that. Um, I'm going to double check that before, before we get done with this, this segment. But, um, if you make an image that it's size, not exact. 
It's not exact. It's, okay. it's not. No, I mean, there's a there's a ratio that works the best, right. but it, it, and I because I've had one too, and I've created that, and I have directions for it. But yeah, it's um, it, because it it's responsive. You know, right. it shrinks and grows. So it depends what screen you're looking at to determine which one. Yeah, works the best. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if we've got, you know, like a, a template for that where we could have, you know, maybe a student of the day and if, if that student's able to give us a few pictures, we could stick that into our uh, Google Classroom header and kind of like showcase or feature that one student or maybe leave it up for a couple of days and then and then switch it out. So um, lots of creative things that we can do with those. Of course, you know, we can always add text into that. You've got to be careful with putting text into that Google Classroom header because, you know, there's the the title of the class and there's your Google Meet link and different things on top of it. So you'll have to kind of play around with a little bit to see where you can put things. But um, that's one little way for students to see themselves showing up in uh, a classroom, whether you're remote or you're face-to-face. And, you know, I've seen a lot of teachers who love the feature in Google Classroom now where you can have your Google Meet link right there that appears on top of the header image. And I actually had a teacher message me asking me, how can I put my Zoom link in there? And while we wish we had a Zoom integration, we don't. You could conceivably put some of that kind of information in the image. It would not be clickable, though. So, um, But you might have a code or you might have something like that. I do like the idea of having students create these headers as well. You know, like Matt said, having that student of the week, but you could also have like a weekly contest or things like that or have them working in groups. And that might be one of those, um, not the must-do assignment, but the can-do assignment, that enrichment to help them um, stay engaged and active and learning some new skills. So the other thing that I would highly recommend in terms of building that community with students and building those relationships, especially the teacher to student relationship, is to create more touch points. You know, it's really difficult when you're trying to do every single thing in your class synchronously. And I feel like there's so much more power in building those asynchronous types of assignments, building in small group instruction, having things like station rotations and other things like that. I just talked to Catlin Tucker on the Shake Up Learning Show last week, and she had some great ideas. And for one, she was saying, you know, make this a priority, make it a priority to create these touch points with students, because I that when you don't see them face to face and, you know, they mute their mic or they mute their camera and you don't really get to see their reactions, that it makes it really difficult to build this community. Because if you don't know your students, you cannot build a community. But taking the time for that one-on-one feedback, student conferencing, you know, build that into your schedule as you're planning. And in terms of how Google can support that, one of the great ways is to use Google Calendar appointment slots. This is a feature that's built into Google Calendar if you have Google for Education and it allows students to just click on a time to sign up to meet with you. So you can do that. I also like the idea of the virtual office hours where you're just saying you're going to be available during this time slot and students can either hop on or you can have them sign up for that as well. But um, making that a priority and finding that balance, I think, between synchronous and asynchronous to make that happen is 
what has been most successful for teachers in this moment, because it is not, (laughs) it is not something that any of us have experienced before. We are all trying to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this whole idea of creating more touch points, this reminded me of a conversation that I had with Paulino Brenner, who is an online teacher in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, He's been teaching uh, foreign languages online for several years now. And when all of this started to hit, um, I interviewed him and just talked to to him about, you know, having taught students online for several years, where you, you know, in many cases, you never get to see those students face to face. It's all online. What I really wanted to know was how he developed those relationships with students. And when you talked about touch points, that really connects with some of the things that, that he said. Like, for instance, one of his suggestions was when you can build in a personal moment with each student. And so, you know, that doesn't mean make a personal moment with each student every single day, multiple times every single day. But like, you know, whenever it, whenever it fits, whenever it makes sense, if you can have that, you know, personal moment that can, that can make a big difference. I think, um, some of the other things that he really, that he said that I really liked was, um, he said, do your best to recreate the warmth you show in person, you know, being able to transmit the ideas and to be able to, you know, share content material and everything. That's all one part of this multifaceted, you know, remote teaching and learning, hybrid teaching and learning thing. And your warmth is another thing, you know, and of course, you know, that that all kind of comes down to your personality. I know some teachers will be like, I don't show any warmth. That's not my personality. But (laughs) it's like, it's there. It's there somehow. You know who I'm talking about, right? So um, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh you know that that warmth is down there. My my wife is probably kind of like that because she's got this kind of like joking, sarcastic thing that she does with her high school students that they absolutely adore. It really endears her to them. But whenever and, and for instance, when she had to go remote in March. Uh, she was able to do that by, you know, still kind of dropping some of those, you know, like jokes and those little comments. And it's like, oh, that's just Miller being Miller, you know? Um, so, you know, whenever, and that, that goes back to another thing that Paulino said, he said, your personality is your online teaching strength. So if you've got to teach students either, um, you know, fully remote or hybrid, or if you've got a whole bunch of students who have been quarantined and you're trying to create things, you know, that might be a big question that you can ask yourself is how can I get my personality across? Um, you know, there's, it's a two way street, of course. And, but this is, this is one way that you can project it in that direction so that they feel like they know you. So, um, if you want to watch that, interview. Um, it's, it's available on my YouTube channel and there's a link to that in our show notes, which again is googleteacherpodcast.com slash 122. Yeah, that's great. And you're completely right. Like we also have to remember how to share ourselves as teachers and it's different when you do it in an online environment. And sometimes we can get a little too focused on the things that are on our plates and the stress that we're under. And I remember the moment that I let go a little bit in my classroom because I was just so afraid to, I don't know if I was just afraid to be myself, but to really, you know, let my personality come through that the kids did begin to relate with me and see me in a different way too. And it it is very powerful. 
The other thing that I want to mention, just because I feel like I mention it every week, <laughs> is Flipgrid, yeah. um, a non-Google tool that deserves to be mentioned in this because it has been a go-to during this remote learning experience. And I, it's a great way to do some of this community building, but again, having the flexibility of that asynchronous um you know, video recording and watching them later. But a lot of teachers are recording things like good morning videos, just making that connection, just, hey, you know, just checking in and students can respond to those. Of course, Flipgrid has added some awesome, amazing features this year and students can respond in different formats now. But that might be the good morning video. It might be, you know, a discussion question. It might be that social emotional check-in. It could it can be used for all the things that we've already talked about, but I just felt like that's that's a tool that we can't overlook in this experience. Yeah. No, I, yeah. The, the check-in is huge. You know, I was joking about how my, my wife kind of got her personality across during remote learning. It was through good morning Flipgrid videos, like exactly like what you were talking about. So that's, you know, even more proof that that's, that, that works. Um, speaking of those check-ins, you know, something as simple as creating a Google form to have your students check in with you either every day or before class or whenever they feel like it. It's such a simple little um, idea and it's very easy to implement and it can have huge, huge implications. Uh, you know, just having a place, you know, a, a simple Google form uh, where the student checks in, the, the teacher is the only one who sees it and just, you know, a super simple question or two or three, like, how are you doing today? Um, is there anything that I need to know as your teacher before we start class? Um, is there anything that I can do to help you? Is there a struggle that you need to tell somebody about? You know, any any stuff like that. If you just give them a place where they can check in with you, sometimes you get information that you never, ever would have gotten otherwise. I learned about this from uh, Ken Shelton, who used to be a teacher, does a lot of um, presenting and um you know, this is something that he, he used with his students, I believe. And it really does open up this channel of communication to help you to be a more real person, to see the real side of your students. And, you know, sometimes there are those things going on in our lives that keep us from being able to just think about or do anything else. And in those moments, sometimes we just need a real human interaction or a little bit of compassion. And if we don't know that those are happening as an educator, there's nothing that we can do about it. So this is if, if this is something that you can build into your class, you know, very first thing every day, just have the little link, students go check in, and then you go look at the responses. Obviously, this is no good if you don't go look at the responses and then take action on them. But having this one little thing in place can can really make a difference and, you know, potentially, you know, make make a big difference in kids' lives too. Definitely. And, you know, I've seen this added to like the attendance mm. form that some schools are using. So just along with that, trying to take attendance with Google Forms thing, adding that question, making it, um, you know, you could make it required or you could keep it optional, but just leaving it open ended, like Matt said, so that 
they have a safe space to respond and to respond directly just to the teacher and not necessarily in front of the whole class. I feel like we kind of shifted from classroom community to building relationships, which is all connected. But again, those types of things can also help us learn what students do a little student matchmaking of who who could you know be friends who could work together who would you know benefit from from getting to know each other and that helps us you know form those those small groups and those partnerships and things with our students as well which again would lead to community but the other thing i've seen this put on are the checklists you know the the millions and millions of checklists that we've seen uh, evolving during this time to help students stay on top of their work for the week and adding that um it might be a, a question or even with the little ones it might be selecting the emoji that's their mood mm, you know yeah. it can be something really simple just to be like how are you feeling and especially with the stress that we've all experienced in lockdown or being at home too much and things like that. Just having that. And and like Matt said, it might just be that trigger. It might be just something small that a student says that's not a big deal, but there might be more to it that we need to investigate. So um, that definitely can help us build um, stronger relationships and support our kids through this time. And we do have links and resources and Matt's interview and everything else in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 122. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right. It is mailbag time. And we're going to start off with a message from Steve Skaysbrook, who is from Birmingham, England. And we were talking a little bit about doing video calls. And Steve has a really good option that you might want to check out. Go ahead, Steve. Greetings, all. I'm Steve Skaysbrook here. And I'm just listening. Well, I've just listened to a section of your recent podcast. And you're asking about how to get multiple people to view um, your lectures and anything else that you want to do. And the simple answer for me and the way I teach, and I'm a lecturer at Birmingham City University, is to use a system called OBS, Open Broadcast Software. And that program allows you to mix like a TV studio, bring in a load of different feeds from your screen from external and then feed it as one screen to a live broadcast where everybody can see it um i say everybody you can either feed it direct to google meet zoom whatever um my university has to use and does use microsoft teams but whatever you can feed it direct to that internal system if you like and it works very well it's very easy to use. You can mix and create screens like you do in a TV studio. You can flick between them very easily. You can just have text or you can put up slides like I do or anything else. It is very, very easy to use. The program is called OBS. Ah, yes. OBS. I've, I've played with OBS just a little bit and I never thought about connecting it with, um, you know, Google Meet or Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever it is that you use for, for video calls. But, you know, whenever you output 
to a single stream, like um, Steve said, and you're able to pull in all of these things. Um, you're able to pull in, you know, a different screen or your camera or whatever and put overlays on it. If you like kind of tinkering with the design of things and trying to figure out how tools work, then this could be really good for you. I will say this, I've used OBS just a teeny tiny bit and I struggled a little bit to to get it going, but um, Steve has had a really good experience with it. So if you want to play with something that can potentially, you know, really kick your video call game up to the next level, then OBS is definitely one to check out. And next up in the mailbag, we have Ashley Brown from Mississippi. Ashley's actually one of my students, and she has some ideas for hybrid teaching to help answer some of the questions we had in episode 121. So take it away, Ashley. Hey, Casey. Hey, Matt. I just want to tell you guys that I'm huge fans of both of you. Casey, I was blessed to get one of your scholarships to your Google certification and I picked trainer, so that's what I'm working on now. Matt, I thoroughly enjoyed your recent email where you talked about the FAQ page before I listened to this podcast, and I set one up, and it is gorgeous on my Google site. Now that I've gushed over you guys, I had a response to um, episode 121 where the private school teacher was talking about being a hybrid Um, We are hybrid at my public school. However, I took a, I did a fellowship with a group called Learn Modern Classrooms. And basically they teach you how to do a blended learning situation where you make instructional videos and you have guided notes and you have a tracker. So all the students kind of know where they are and it's really self-paced and it's good for students who are in class, out of class, absent. If they go to the bathroom, they don't miss anything because you've recorded your lecture and then they can move simultaneously and it allows you to be able to walk around the room and help other students or do whatever you need to do. So that's my suggestion is that she creates instructional videos so all students, not just her virtual student, all of her students can access it and then maybe a tracker or she could use the to-do list to for so kids can see what they need to work on next. Love you guys. Well, isn't she just the sweetest? <laughs> that was such a nice message. Thank you, Ashley, for listening and for all of your support for both of us. And love the idea. And I love trackers. Um, Lisa Johnson has shared a lot of trackers with me, too. And I think that that's a fabulous way to combine all of those things that you're talking about, the instructional videos, the guided notes, and keeping that all in more of a self-paced environment. So thank you so much for sharing that. So let's jump into the blogosphere and see what's been happening. I've got a couple of posts to share with you. Like I mentioned earlier, I interviewed Catlin Tucker on the Shake Up Learning Show, and she is just amazing, y'all. And you've probably read something or followed her, read one of her books, even if you're not exactly sure if you knew her name, I guarantee you she has had some influence. She is the blended learning guru, and she has some great ideas on how we can take some of these blended learning strategies in the classroom and make them work in this concurrent hybrid kind of environment. And 
She just blows me away. She had so many brilliant ideas. You definitely want to take notes if you're listening to that episode. And then I also have another post that's just full of Google Classroom quick tip videos. So I've been creating quick tip videos all year, mostly Google, but a lot of those have been Google Classroom. So I curated those into one page, just quick. Most of these videos are like two minutes or less. So they're just quick little tips to show you how to do things in Google Classroom. Yeah, those are fantastic. And I agree, Catlin is the real deal. She she is so impressive. Everything that I've read of hers has been fantastic. So definitely go check out that interview. I have a couple of quick things to share. One of them is a post called 30 Collaborative Google Apps Activities for Schools. <laughs> I'm using that term Google Apps because I'm updating a really old post before <laughs> they switch it over to G Suite, before they switch it over to Google Workspace, but it's not for edge. I'm, I'm not going to get into Google. that. I know. Can we, yeah. Can we stop renaming things? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. Um, but these are collaborative activities that students can do either whether they're together face to face or they're together at a distance. And, um, you know, lots of practical things you can plug into class right away. And then also we mentioned in the show last time that one way to kind of make things make life a little easier on you is to create a frequently asked questions page on your Google site uh, or someplace uh, so that you could gather answers to these questions and put them someplace where people could find them. I wrote a post about how to do that. So um, there are a couple of different ways that you can do it. I've got some suggestions of things you could put into those. So uh, all of that is available on our show notes. You can grab those links there at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 122. So there you have it, a handful of ideas for creating classroom community, uh, something that is so important. It's kind of the glue that holds everything together in many ways. And of course, our Google tools can help. And then we have lots of other um, accessibility ideas, too. Hopefully, there are some of those that you can uh, check out and use. And of course... If you just got done with this and you're thinking, man, I wish that there was another episode I could listen to. Well, guess what? There's 121 other episodes available. So you can head right off to googleteacherpodcast.com or, of course, find us on your favorite podcast app and go check out any of those episodes from the archives. Yes, and you can laugh along with us, make fun of us. We don't care. <laughs> we stumble <laughs> all all over the place, but we love doing this and connecting with you. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that G Suite power and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me, 
and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.